0: You are listening to a podcast from West Hill United Church, located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate.
1: Thank you, Peter. We on now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> As we begin our service today, could we take first a moment and acknowledge that we are on the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nation, whose lands have been previously occupied by the Huron-Wendat and Seneca First Nations and a part of the Williams Treaty of 1923. Good morning. My name is Ruth Gill, and it's my pleasure to welcome you here today. Special welcome to any visitors or guests that we may have.
0: Grounded, guided, growing—a time for centering—from Scott Kearns. Yes.
2: Oh, well, I'm sorry that's a bit small. Um, I, I, we always uh, talk about just renew our idea of of what we ground ourselves and what we choose to be guided by and what we want to grow in, and I, I. I I just wanted to put it in the, in the very human sense of we choose to be grounded in life itself, but sometimes we're unsure. And we choose to be guided by life, but sometimes we feel unmotivated about that. And we choose to be growing in wisdom, but sometimes we're mistaken. Often we're mistaken. And the next slide. And that's partly why we gather together, because together we come back to wisdom, together we come back to love. And then double meaning beautifully, together we come back to life itself. So the purpose in gathering is a bit more than individual. Um, It's what we can share together and grow together.
1: We have two readings this morning. The first is by Ian Pears, In my small way, I preserved and cataloged and dipped into the vast ocean of learning that awaited, knowing all the time that the life of one man was insufficient for even the smallest part of the wonders that lay within. It is cruel that we are granted the desire to know, but denied the time to do so properly. We all die frustrated it is the greatest lesson we have to learn. The second reading is by Claire Louise Bennett. Everybody knows deep down that life is as much about the things that do not happen as the things that do. And that's not something that ought to be glossed over or denied because without frustration, there would hardly be any need to daydream and daydreams return me to my original sense of things, and I luxuriate in these fervid primary visions until I'm entirely my unalloyed self again. So even though it sometimes feels as if one could just about die from disappointment, I must concede that in fact, in a rather perverse way, it is precisely those things I did not get that are keeping me alive, offered as wisdom for the journey.
0: Focused moments from Greta Vosper.
3: Focused moments falls from the readings and Ruth, as she sat down, she said, you really have to think about those readings and you do. Um, And I'm not sure I actually fell into the right place with this one, but we're gonna go with it anyway. Long ago, we fell from simple graces, the soft caress of texture, the introduction of a flavor, a hand in ours on the journey home. Once captivated by our senses, we've turned our minds to bigger things and left these simple pleasures long behind. Each year, the dark works to enshroud us. Light takes its leave day after day, that night might court our hearts and win them back to expectation and her sister possibility. Like children unfamiliar with the season's change, perhaps afraid, We blind the night with light in our homes, on our streets, in our hearts. We lose the stars, and with them, memories. As light tucks her hems behind her and reaches for the distant sky, May we make the darkness brilliant through the simple things that held our marvel so long ago. The warmth of hands in hands. The passing joy of music, conversation. The slip of fabric on our body, the warming sip of tea. May we reach into our storied histories and find those steadfast pleasures ours to know and love and savor the edges of night illuminating things in light we cannot see. I had put it on mute thank you um we have hit that time of year uh, that many call magical i mean spring is kind of magical because you know the earth sort of loosens up and all those flowers show up and last year scott and i had eight different kind of birds we've never seen in our backyard before Um, So you might think that spring is magical, or maybe you can think of the magic stuff that goes on around Halloween, you know, all that woo-woo mystery, you know, thin veil crossing over sort of thing. Um, But we don't call those magic. We call Christmas the magic time of year. Uh, It lies in the the glistening lights and the the historical traditions that we engage in, uh, in the people we embrace that we normally barely tolerate, uh, the foods that we allow ourselves to enjoy, all of this leads up to things that we call magic. Um, For me, uh, I have lost so many of the things that were magic over the course of the years that I get to just enjoy the Christmas season without having to cook a turkey, without having to sit around a table with my family. Without having to get up and do the dishes, just because that's the thing my mother does. The last bite she took was, okay, time for the dishes. And every every woman had to get up and go wash the dishes. These kinds of magic have escaped uh, from my Christmas season. Uh, But I enjoy the season because it is a season of delight. A few weeks ago or a week ago or so, I sent some pictures to some friends of mine. I think I mentioned it last week about Scott banishing uh, the bleakness of winter by lacing lights on the back fence, as friends had done the year before, and putting up uh, for me a fir tree where the 30-foot blue spruce stood until a month ago. Uh, hoping to entice the birds to find their way over there as well. And yes, one junco has found her way over to the fir, and I'm sure others will follow. But I want to find out what's magic for you at this time of year. What would you say is the particular bit of magic... Uh, that you uh, enjoy. Uh, Roger, maybe you can read that little bit about that, you know, <laughs> that gentleman about whom you were speaking at the beginning of the service. I don't have it with me. Hang on, I'll find it. Guess who it is.: Okay, you have to guess who this is. Someone with a riveting presence and a delightful sense of humor. Santa Claus. Uh, No, it's not Roger. (laughs) It's Scott, because for me, one of the magic things about Christmas now is the singing the season time that we have together, uh, which is generally uh, poignant and hilarious and, and a lovely time. But what are some of the magic pieces for you? I hope I haven't taken the sheen off the family thing. (laughs) Warmth in people's hearts. Warmth in people's hearts. Absolutely. People open their hearts in a way that they often don't. Anita. Anita. So the... A child's uh, innocence and fascination. Uh Wendy? I also think of the newborn baby, yes. a newborn baby, yes. Of course a new girl who's just two months old, but um my sister this week they had their visual girl. And we see that new birth, new birth, the hope that comes. Yeah, that is in that ancient story, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, That transforms the birth of a child into all of our hopes. Roger, something nicer this time, sorry. Oh, Oh. marzipan, yes! A man after my own heart, dark fruitcake. Yay! You know, funeral homes used to give clergy fruitcake for Christmas, and they don't do that anymore. It's heartbreaking. Anyway, someone over here. Someone here had their hand up? No? Uh Ingrid?
0: Um I amazed that our fifteen and our
2: seventeen year
3: and grandsons want to go a tree that is just the one that they're grandmother. Ah, lovely. That's lovely. I'm hoping that works out well for you. Christmas music. Um, I had the joy of taking our refugee family, well, Showback and the two boys, into the bush to cut a tree down this week and take it back to their home and trim it with. Uh, with lights and with um, with decorations, I realized as I was leaving sort of quickly that um, the tree was too small for the stand. So it was like listing about like this and they're going to have to spend the next week or two making sure it stays upright. But, uh, but there was lots of joy on those children's faces from going through that process and, and having fun that day. So there's a lot of magic and things that we look forward to. But some of our earliest memories of Christmas uh, as children are probably stories of frustration, of, of not being able to go and see Santa for the fourth time, of not getting the gifts that we want to get at Christmas, of not being with all of our friends, or having Grandma come to our house instead of us going to Grandma's house, which was always so much more pleasant. Uh, so frustration is a big part of what this season brings, and that's why I focused on frustration today when I was getting ready for uh, the service. Not today, but this week as I was getting ready for today's service. And I, I thought about my own children, and I may have shared these, shared these stories before, but when I was in uh, Kingston doing my internship at St. Margaret's United Church, they had an, a Christmas morning service every year. And so I needed to be at the church prepared to begin the service at 10.30 uh, that morning. So the children, uh, or Hazel, I think she was the only child at that point, yeah, woke up early. And, um, you know, the timing to 10.30, you know, I had to plot it out. I was pretty sure we were going to make it. Um, And then it turned out that the thing that we had got for Hazel um, was not the one that she had wanted. And we found it out uh with a very unhappy child who was sobbing and self flagellating because she knew that she must have done something wrong that she could not forget for Santa to have downgraded her presence like that. The fact that her Santa was a single mom going doing a master's degree had nothing to do with it of course but um but she was so distraught and so upset that I decided at about 10 to 10 that I would tell her that there was no Santa. That was not a good choice, right? (laughs) Was not a good choice. Thought it would ease the pain, uh, but no, it didn't. So um, yeah, so that was not the best way to deal with a child's frustration. Then uh, when Isaac was about four years old, uh, his time came, Um, But he was a radically different child. So when he didn't get what he wanted for Christmas, we didn't know because, of course, he didn't say anything. Um, We just noticed a couple hours later that we hadn't seen Isaac for quite some time. So I went looking for him, and he was lying flat on his bed, just staring at the ceiling. Are you okay, honey? It's Christmas. What's the matter? It's okay. What's okay, honey? I really wanted a Nintendo 64, and Santa didn't bring it. (laughs) Totally different. I didn't tell him that there was no Santa. I had learned from my mistake. But by the end of the week, almost everyone we knew had donated to the Nintendo 64 fund, and Isaac got his Nintendo 64. Um, I don't remember ever get, not getting something that I really, really wanted for Christmas. Uh, I did remember finding out about Santa when we found a closet full of presents signed from Santa on about the 15th of December or something. Um, but I don't remember not getting something. Does anyone remember not getting something that had their heart set on? I think we had simpler times back then. We We were graced with one cool gift and then underwear and socks sometimes pajamas right that was our christmas morning and we loved it my dad would sit underneath the tree that he bought christmas eve which meant it meant what the only tree left in the lot right so he would he would sit by the tree and he would hand the presents out and we would open them and we would be so excited um and it didn't matter that there weren't a lot of things. We had a simple time. But families have a much more difficult challenge these days because of the marketing and the marketing and then the marketing uh, that goes on through social media, through um, television, through, uh, through through Disney movies. There's not a movie that Disney makes now that there isn't also a line of dolls or songs or costumes that comes along with it because the marketing of the movie is so much more lucrative beyond the release of the movie date. And so families are watching uh, their children become absorbed with the things that everybody else wants. And I remember one time when Hazel's father came to visit her and gave her her Christmas gifts. Uh, And uh, the thing that he gave her was this doll that talked, mouth open and shut and talked. And uh, of course, she took it to daycare the next day. Well, guess who was like the daycare's least favorite mom after that? Because every child in daycare wanted this ridiculously expensive doll uh, that Hazel's father had bought for her. But we all now uh, must have tender hearts for young families whose children uh, run the risk of not being in the cool set at school. You go to school and you don't have, you know, the latest in this, that, or the other thing. Uh, the ridicule and the fear and the challenge uh, that that brings is huge for a little child. We might think it's not a big deal, but for a little child, that can be an ostracization that they don't ever get over uh, with. Who was it that mentioned the eight-year-old girls? Eight-year-old girls. Eight-year-old girls are at such a vulnerable age because they're at that, that point where they've been told all their lives they can be and do anything they wanna be or do, right? They have that power. And right around uh, grade 8, that's grade 8, not 8-year-old, right, grade 8, right around grade 8, they learn that is totally not true, that they have to dress in a certain way, that they have to look a certain way, that they can't actually play those kinds of games, that the boys won't be just their friends. Uh, It's a whole new learning time. And what people get for Christmas can be a significant piece Of that change in a child's life. Does that kind of frustration stretch into adulthood? Um, The first book by, uh, or the first quote by Spears uh, talks about frustration uh being the the reality of our lives and that we all die frustrated i thought that was such an interesting thought because there are for all of us things that we don't get things that we don't do things that we love and have never managed to be able to put in our lives things that we committed to that we never get to so we're frustrated that we don't get there i'm not sure that we get as frustrated about the holidays or about christmas gifts or things like that as do our children but the parents, trying to meet the children's needs, uh, get frustrated. Did the little girl get the frozen thing that she wanted? Yeah? Good. I'm glad. <laughs> there is a little girl whose list was frozen. And I'm glad to hear that we wrapped our hearts around that. But Bennett has this other. Uh, view of it. The second reading has a different view uh, from Perra's view on frustration and believes that that frustration is actually what helps her get through life when the things that she wants don't materialize because they send her back to that place where she didn't have that expectation, where she just lived with the world as it was, where she finds her way back to being content with what it was that she had. That in in Buddhism, we're always you always learn about letting go of the things that you want. Let go of those desires; they're not they're just desires. They're going to take up your every day, your every moment, your every thought. So she gets back. Bennett gets back to that place of contentment, out of which the 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 idea that is currently being frustrated has grown, but that contentment still remains. And she says, perhaps the only reason I'm still able to live is because I'm able to get back to that place, that I'm sent back there by the things I didn't get and the frustrations. So I was thinking about what's going to happen around Christmas tables this year and why perhaps it's so difficult for families at this time of the season, not just because Canadians have uh, more debt per household than we've ever had before, uh, but because of some other things that have happened, I think because the holiday has been disconnected from its religious roots. Not that I think we should be telling the story of the the shepherds and the wise men and the and the Manger and the star, uh, most of of which was created long after anything might have happened that brought someone named Jesus into the world. Um, Not that we need to go back to that story, but because we have maybe disconnected the whole of society from the things that religion does that are so important— and if we can find a way to get back to those things, perhaps some of that frustration would dissipate, perhaps some of that need to fill certain other needs that, that are being attempted, we're attempting to meet them through material um, objects and gifts and, and those kinds of things. And we have to remember that, you know, most of us sitting in here, our kids, or grandkids will be lucky if they attain the sense of uh, comforts that we have had, you know, as the middle class... Uh, disappears. So what are the things about religion that came around that table at Christmas time that were part of that table, not just because of the story, but because of what had been woven into people's lives by religion? And so this obviously is not just about Christmas. It's about Hanukkah. It's about Kwanzaa. It's about uh, all kinds. It's about the religious traditions that wrap the world in so many different ways. And I'm going to the work of Philip Goldberg now to talk about those. And I've mentioned them before, but I, as I was contemplating the season and how hard it is for people, I realized that some of these things are missing. And if we could find ways to bring them into our holiday conversations, uh, not about religion, but just about the things that they talk about, uh, we may be able to find some way to, to ground this festive time uh, in different truths, in different stories, in different ways. So, the first thing, he identifies five purposes of religion, and the first one is transmission. They all start with trans. Transmission, translation, transaction, transformation, and transcendence. Did you get them? No. Okay. Transmission. He talks about transmission as a way, as what religion does when it shares its story from one generation to the next. And it's not just about the story, but the story gives us an identity, right? We identify with that story. And so because we identify with that story, we identify with that block of people. And because we identify with that block of people, we feel safe in the world, right? Because we have those people around us. And religion uh, thrived because that's what it did. It identified me over and against you. It put a difference there so that we could find a place to stay safe. I'm not an anthropologist. I'm really making some of this up, but it makes sense to me. So if we have different groups... And we don't know the people over there because they eat different food or they dress differently. They're not my people. I may not be safe there. So let me go and find the people who eat what I eat and the people who dress the way I dress, and then I will be safe. And that is an understanding of religion that makes it easy to figure out why religion existed in the first place. Um, So that sense of identity, formally simply to help us uh, be safe, That sense of identity disappears when we're no longer identifying with a religion or over and against another religion. Um, Those religions that have a very distinct difference from the world around them are the religions that will thrive because they have this very exclusive uh, way of being in the world. So that transmission, without that, how do we identify um, and we watch our world identifying in harsher and harsher categories right now. Um, but how can we identify as people who gather together uh, on one day of the year with family we don't see often? Uh, and how are they identifying still with that story that we share? Translation is, of course, making sense of life. Religion has helped us make sense of life. It's given us stories. It's given us, you know, a being that can guide us in some way. It has allowed us to tell our own stories uh, with an emphasis that brings what meaning to my life. Helps me understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. Helps me figure out what I can do next. It gives me that uh, meaning in life that makes sense. So translation. Transaction is what happens between you and me. Right, And we get to make that something beautiful or we get to make that something terrible. But transactions in religious systems are generally about making that something beautiful. It's about how do we tell people that we love them? How do we act even if we don't know them? How do we act so that they know that we think that they are valuable, that they're beautiful, that they have something to offer? And when we tell the stories of our traditions and our families and our sisters and brothers and we tell them in ways that bring out what is beautiful and lets the rest of it sort of sift away, we have this way of calling ourselves into right relationship. And we talk in, we talk here all the time about being in right relationship with ourselves, with others, and with the future. Our religious base, with or without traditional beliefs, invites us to make sense of the world in that way. And Scott speaks every week about being grounded in the interconnectedness of life and guided by love and growing in wisdom, another way that our religion calls us to make sense of our everyday. Transformation, of course, is the idea that we can become better, that we can become safer, in our, you know, with the people around us, they're safer as we grow and understand ourselves more. Uh, the relationships that we have with ourselves, with others, and with the world around us, those become safer when we grow. So that transformation is taking who I am today and making me better tomorrow, right? And I use uh, what we do in this place to help me do that. And then the last one is transcendence. It means getting out of my own little pity pool. And finding my way into the world, taking with it the gifts that I have uh, accumulated from the relationships I have here, but finding that in the world uh, there is so much more that is rich, so much that is beyond my capacity, but yet brings me a sense of wonder and of beauty and of life. So overcoming frustration at this time in the year is perhaps uh, a job that we can have something to do with. Uh, perhaps our grounding of our tradition, uh, loosed as it is uh, from its religious uh, beginnings, unless you're in the mall listening to the songs being sung. But everywhere else, we're really uh, involved in a community that doesn't very much hold to strict religious understandings. And fewer will be the Christmas tables and the big dinners and things. Fewer of them will be grounded in an understanding, a deep and rich understanding of these five things that Goldberg says are so significant in religion. So perhaps when we go out there, we can help us find our way, help those who join with us find their way in a new, uh, a new um, understanding of what it means. So, what's the identity? How do we identify as the people around the table? How do I identify as the people beyond us? How do I identify as a nation, as a human? How do we identify? um, And how do we ground our reverence in that? And how do we interpret our life events? How do we we behave with one another? How can we grow up uh, this Christmas? And how can we reach beyond ourselves to be inspired by what is beyond that table, beyond that room, beyond that family, beyond those traditions. How can we be inspired from far beyond that? The conversation that those of you who are staying for the webinar uh, will have with me um, this afternoon is not that conversation. It's a conversation about how do I just respect where you're coming from or perhaps even challenge you politely uh, if you're not coming from the same place I am. I don't know that those are conversations for Christmas dinner really. Um, But the one about mom getting up and going to do the dishes, that's a conversation you could have. Just invite her to stay. But helping people understand that perhaps our religion needs to be, our our only creed needs to be, be, I am human and so are you. I want to love life and so do you. My grasp, my urge toward life is fundamental to me, and so is yours. Maybe if we can find our way to those conversations and then grow out of them a sense of identity that goes beyond failed, uh, failed uh, interests and, and the frustrations that Christmas so often brings into our lives and take us to a place of deeper, common understanding, perhaps that would be the gift that we can bring to those tables this year. I hope that when you do, or if you do, you share with me and with others uh, how that went and whether you're invited back the following year. Um, there is much that we, uh, that we celebrate in this time of year, and celebrating the relationships we are in and making them rich and deep uh, is part of that celebration. Thank you. We all come into this room with memories of what Christmas has been, of who, understandings of who family is, uh, wishes for who we might be able to have that conversation with. But you go from this place into a world that has different ideas and different fundamental beliefs and different orders Of importance than what lives in our own hearts so you go into a world that is ripe for conversation which means that you're not just telling people what you believe but you are opening yourself to being converted by what it is that they share with you and that perhaps can be the beauty of this season so go into that world as open as you can possibly be And may what touches your heart be beautiful and meaningful and make you whole. Go in peace.
0: been listening to a podcast from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate.